Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I am very well. As good as could be expected. Oh, good. Good. How about you? How's uh, Seattle? What's the weather oh, like? <clears throat> well, it's actually, Dan, it actually snowed a little bit. It snowed? Are you kidding? Nope, not kidding. It's pretty late in the year for snow, I gotta say. It's too late in the year for snow, I think. Yeah, but you yeah. know, climate change, Dan. Climate change. Well, I don't understand climate change. No, I don't think any of us do. I don't understand if climate change... Yes. You know, I think a lot of people talk about the cause of the climate change. They try... I, I don't think that it's... For people who would say the climate has not changed, that that's preposterous, right? But seems preposterous. Yeah. Debating about the cause of it, I also think is a little preposterous. And I also think that it doesn't, it doesn't, here's the thing. Hmm. People will, will hold that up. And I think that that's kind of become, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's kind of become a little bit of a straw man kind of an argument. I would say it doesn't matter whether it's completely natural, whether this is the Earth's cyclical pattern. Or whether it's clearly and definitively caused because of human beings and pollution and stuff. I think whatever we can do to make it stop is good. Hmm. Do you argue? Can you argue with that? Can you argue with that, John, that we should not try to be better about pollution and whatever is happening because of us? Should we not just be better about that as, as a people? I do feel we should be better, yes. I, I tend to moonwalk out of... Uh, uh, scare quotes uh, debates about climate change. Just yes. moonwalk right out of it. Have you have you limited your activity in fracking? I hardly frack at all. You know, I don't have a reason to drive, so I don't. And <laughs> right. um, and so you know, like yeah. I, my my gas expenses are pretty low. Yeah, I feel like uh, given the uh, boycott right now on the on the nation of uh, Russia. Mm. former Soviet Union. Mm. I'm driving even less. Just use, trying to use less of everything. The only thing that I depend upon is roast beef. And I know that that is its own whole set of cascading problems, my dependency on roast beef. Yes. Um, was that a cricket? That, Do you have cricket in your office? <laughs> yeah, that was that's my uh, ringtone for my phone, and a number oh. I don't recognize just just called me. <laughs> I thought it was like a little buzzer you had on your. Whenever I started to bore you, you were just like <laughs> right. cricket, cricket, cricket. Right. No, I mean it was it was perfect, but no, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna use that. My uh, my uh, next door neighbor here is doing some yard work with a gas powered thing, and so if if. If we hear any uh, of that kind of, it's you know, it sounds like it's just somebody with a gas-powered thing cutting his hedge, but it sounds like lumberjacks in the forest. <laughs> and I think all of the work they're doing could be done with a battery-powered sure. hedge trimmer, but but instead it's like it's like I don't know. I've I've seen your yard. I know there's nothing over there that needs all that. Yeah. All that excitement. I saw something that was saying it's talking about all the yard equipment as being like, you know, that's causing all the problems now. It is I least efficient. True. and I think you know, that's true. Yeah. Most of the world's problems are caused by landscaping. <laughs> and I'm backing out of the whole thing. I'm just, yeah. it's another thing I'm moonwalking out of. It's pretty much all I do now is just, I walk in a place, survey the situation. Somebody <laughs> says something to me and I just... Just Michael Jackson right back out the door. Right. Yeah. That sounds sounds really good. 
even though it's a super dad move now, nobody <laughs> actually is moonwalking except dads who are like, check it out. I learned to do this in the 80s. I can still do it. Yeah. It's not that physically demanding in it. Right. It always gets a laugh. Uh, but it but does it does it always get a laugh? No. I mean, I don't I don't I wouldn't know. No. You never learned to moonwalk? You never moonwalked? Uh no, I never felt qualified to try that kind of thing. I remember when the kids on the the uh, the playground at lunch, they'd bring out the cardboard box. Uh-huh. You know, and they do their breakdancing stuff on it, the spinning and stuff like that. And yeah. You know, I they they were open to all all creeds, all races, uh-huh. all genders. Open to all. Uh, but I never felt like I was good enough to stand up to the ridicule that would happen in middle school. Just in general, just being there, I suffered enough bullying and ridicule that I didn't want to add to it by attempting a breakdancing move of any kind publicly. Uh, I didn't even want to do it privately. That's how how much I knew it wouldn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. I tried some, uh, some break dancing at one point there was like a break dancing battle happening. Yeah. That was every, every day out there. And I, and I jumped in and did some popping and locking and then some, you know, got down and did some, and I was terrible. And at some point I was doing some move and somebody kicked me and I, and I stopped and I looked up and everybody standing around was like not amused by me at all. And I was like, oops, sorry. And I got up and moonwalked right out of there too. So Google has, uh, answered some questions here. I Googled, I I typed in break dancing moves. Yeah. And so the one that, uh, one of the articles that came up here, it says that there are seven basic types of moves in break dancing. The top rock, the footwork, right. sure. The drops, yep. The floor rock, the power moves, yeah, the freezes, sure. and the suicides. Oh boy! And there, there's a long description of this. There are photos of it. Yeah, I always felt Dan that my footwork was pretty good. Yeah. And uh, and I could freeze and I could robot, <laughs> uh, but I was I did not have a ton of good popping. The, what's the one I want to know? I'm sure that we just read it, but you know the one where they sort of they're sort of kind of spinning around almost on their back, yeah, and then they kind of fly and now they're standing. Now they're standing. Yeah, that's that's, that's all floor work. I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's I was never. That was the kind of thing that I. I felt like if I wanted to do it, that was is what I would do. Yeah, it feels like anything acrobatic or and you wind up on the one arm. You're just somehow yeah. balancing on the one arm. You got to be strong. Yeah, got to be strong. You got to have <laughs> flex. <laughs> I did not have those skills. I didn't have them. I don't have them still. No. Well, now you're not going to get them now, John. Yeah, probably not. I admired them. I admired everything about early hip-hop culture. I was very invested in some of it. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed the rap music and the... Uh, that movie graf- Breakin'? Graf- graffiti art. I didn't uh, I didn't admire the movie Breakin' as much, but... Turbo but in that. He was, he was great. Were, you were about to say he was fresh, weren't you? No. <laughs> no. I mean, yes, I was. He was fresh. He was fresh. Yeah, no, it, it made its way to Anchorage pretty pretty quickly and we all were like wow this is fascinating like let's get in on this 
And then, you know, it just it went through many changes. Yeah, of course. Like everything does. I mean, imagine if you were like, oh, I love this rock and roll music, 1956. Like, I got to get in on this. Mm -hmm. Where would you be in 1966? You'd be like, oh, whatever happened to the to the the quiffs and right the, and the skiffle? Yeah, it's all gone. The skiffle's gone by then. Yeah, well, just uh, you know, I was on a trip and I I just got back. Uh, oh, where where of, were you going? Where'd you well, go? Well, I, I went to Hawaii and I and I was there for there for ten days. Um, actually, the. The so show wait, wait we, a minute. You were that was you recorded from there last week? Yeah, the show we did last you week. You didn't even reveal that. You kept was, it on the DL. I kept it on the DL. I was gonna record Roderick on the line last week and then it you know it got canceled at the last minute, but I was all set up with my microphone and you everything, everything like, ready to go on my little bed, but it never came up last week. We were talking about something else and it, it didn't come up. There yeah. weren't the usual roosters in the background. Oh, that uh, would have been a giveaway if you had, yeah. if I had heard those. You've been like, wait a minute, yeah. what are those roosters? But so I'm back and I'm just kind of trying to reintegrate. And it's, you know, it snowed today, as I say. Yeah, it's crazy. So going from one pole to the next. And, and honestly, you know, uh, talk about using uh, fuel and climate change, really flying to Hawaii and back, in, inexcusable. There's no Guilty. defending it. Guilty. Yeah, no defending it. Uh, the airlines are trying to do their part by putting as many people in airplanes as they possibly can. There's really no room. Couldn't even get one more person on the airplane. Even if they were like, I'll stand in the bathroom. Nope, there's already somebody in there. <laughs> That's how it was every single flight for a decade that I lived in Orlando because everyone has to go to Disney. Oh, course, Every flight packed every time. And now, you know, I've noticed the last few flights that I've been on, Mainly going from Austin here to New York, um, if they they've been empty enough that I might have I might not have someone next to me for the first time oh. in you know twenty years. That's I don't nice. know what to do with myself. I used to, you know, I used to be on those planes where there was just nobody in the back half of the plane. I don't know how they could have. You know, the only way they could have done that was gas was cheap and nobody cared about anything, but. You know, I'd get on a plane in like Frankfurt and fly back to Seattle with a whole row empty. Just, you know, the plane would take off. I would undo my seatbelt. I would lay down across six <laughs> why, seats. Because why not? And then buckle my belt again and mm -hmm. wake up eight hours later, at, you know, like on approach. Mm -hmm. Those were really the days, the salad days. The salad days. Yeah. But nowadays, there's no salad. Or maybe it's all salad. It's hard to tell. Depends on how you feel about salad. It's all the kind of salad you get where it's already in a bowl and there's plastic wrap over it and it's iceberg lettuce and there's one cherry tomato. Right. It's that kind of salad. Everything. So speaking of like conserving energy, I actually had a question relating to that. Hmm for you uh you know i know that you like me and much much more so than me mm -hmm. enjoy vintage automobiles older automobiles back in the salad days of the automobiles right when you you know you you had a different key for the trunk 
that you did to, to open the doors and start the car. Absolutely true of my, of my Suburban, yeah. two different keys. Correct. And now, not only have we gone, you know, it, it's funny because people get su- got super upset when they found out that you couldn't swap an iPhone battery. That was the death knell for the iPhone is no one will ever buy this because not only doesn't it have a hardware keyboard, but you can't swap the battery out. Oh, sure. I remember that. And then Apple continued that trend to bring ir- un- unreplaceable, unswappable batteries to their laptops, God forbid. And we somehow survived all this. And yep. now we have computers that you can't upgrade anymore. You can't put your own RAM or hard drive into them and no one will buy those. And yet people still buy those. Yeah. Same thing kind of happened with cars. It used to be that, you know, you, you would get a car and of course you could maintain it yourself with a few simple tools. Mm-hmm. Now the new vehicles that come out, you can't, and then the next level of course is the electric vehicles where you can't really do anything to them. Nope. You just look at them in amazement. And a friend of mine I had lunch uh, with yesterday, she just got a, uh, a Polestar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, like, like me, um, a Polestar is, I think, aren't they like, a, aren't they Volvo back? Yeah, they're, they're Volvos, yeah. They're Volvo cars that are electric cars. And they look, when, a, when she, she took me out into the garage to look at it and where she had parked. And she said, it looks kind of like a Dodge. Mm-hmm, a little. And I looked at it and it does look kind of like a Dodge. And I, she said that the reason that she got it is because they needed a vehicle now and you can't get any Teslas. The next Tesla was not available until at least October, she said. And for those of you listening in the future, it's April. And so that was too yeah. long for them to wait. And so she got one of these Polestars because you could go and buy one. And I guess they're around the same price. Maybe they're not as cool as a Tesla. I don't know. Maybe they're better. I don't know. But what's your take on the whole electronic vehicle? And... You know, how do you think that, do you think that there will be a world where the kinds of vehicles that we like will be special purpose only kinds of vehicles? In other words, no one would go and buy a gas powered vehicle without a very special reason to do it, without a special reason that they need just that specific thing. Well, you know, Ken Jennings bought a Polestar and uh, in one light, it looks like a Dodge, um, and you know Dodge loves to make Challenger and the and the Charger whatever, Charger yeah and they like like the big three American auto makers love to do these kind of throwback looking cars and they go so far out of their way to make them look sinister. Mm-hmm. There's so much work put into making like the Cadillac CTS look really sinister. Uh-huh. This Polestar looks like. It's very plain. It's very it's very boring looking from most angles. But when you look at it kind of more closely, or when you look at it uh, from a certain angle, you realize, oh, it's very sinister looking. Yeah, especially like head on. I'm looking at this picture of it right now. It's got a mean look to it. Yeah, it's way scarier than scarier all than the, the Tesla. Yeah, all the cars that are like, oh, I'm super bad. It's like no, super bad is some it's actually something different. The uh the 60s cars that these latest ones are trying to emulate, they looked badass for a different reason. And taking the styling cues and kind of chip foosing them 
doesn't make them look cooler. It makes them look dumber, I think. But as far as electric cars go, Dan, I feel like my next car is going to be an electric car. There's a big moves for you. Yeah, it is. But the thing about it, and you know, I talked about this a lot during my city council run and nobody wanted to hear about it. And I did the thing, you know, I did the uh the the nineteen sixty nine thing where I said, We're all gonna be in flying cars in, in eight years. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I really do believe and and you heard a lot about this four or five years ago, and you don't hear very much about it now, but that Google and Apple and all the companies, Uber, were all working on self-driving cars, and it was the big, exciting thing. And I think they, you know, they were talking about it a little prematurely, and they didn't roll the, the technology out. There were, there were more bugs than they, than they thought there would be. But Who knew it, it wasn't easy to just start making a car. I know. I mean, but it was, you know, it was a kind of a Google Glass problem. When Google Glass came out, it was like, here we are, the future. And then immediately everybody went, this is dumb. And they keep trying to do it, and it keeps being dumb because it's just not quite there. But the idea is not dumb. It will, some version of this will, is in our future. And the thing that I said during the city council run was that Self-driving cars are not a thing that a car company is going to successfully bring out a self-driving car that's going to interact with a bunch of dumb grandmas on the road driving old K cars. It's, it, that is going to be too difficult. That's a, that is not the way it's effectively going to work because it needs to be a municipal system. And this is what I was saying during the council race was the city needs to get ahead of this because it's going to require a whole new set, you know, in order for self-driving cars to work efficiently and best, the roads will have to have special marking. You know, there will have to be new, new lines on the roads that enable the cars to, you know, interact with whatever, whatever they're going to be magnetic or some kind of digital uh, contribution or communication between the roads and the cars. But also, you know, the number one expense in building new roads is not the pavement. It's the signaling. It's the stoplights. It's the crosswalks. It's the, you know, all of the, all of the electronics and, you know the i mean certainly building bridges over little streams and stuff is expensive too but maintaining a roads in a city it's the it's the signaling it's all the business of trying to keep people from getting run over and trying to keep cars from crashing into each other that that is the cost and with self-driving cars what you'll find is that you know a municipality or a, or a you know, county or whatever is going to be able to make an investment in the, the infrastructure that will, that will change the nature of the signaling, right? The cars aren't going to need to see stoplights. The only reason you're going to have stoplights at all is crosswalks for, you know, or opportunities for people to go across and the efficiency of, 
self-driving cars, the, the way it'll transform cities, like you're not going to need street parking. You're going to free up thousands of acres of urban land that's devoted to parking right now mm-hmm. that are, you know, wh- what are we going to do with all that new, with all that new property? Um, also, you're going to put, be able to put 15 cars all going 50 miles an hour in the space that two cars fit in now mm-hmm. because you're not going to need the clearances. It's everything's going to be communicating with each other. I mean, I'm very excited by it. And it's an example of a thing as I talk that sounds like, oh, yeah, we've said this about a lot of things, but it's a lot harder to do than it seems. And all that's true. But it's inevitable. We've, people are not willing to surrender the kind of the privacy and autonomy of single occupancy or like family occupied vehicles. Like public transit is great. But people that can afford it are going to want to travel privately. Right. And when I was running for city council, I said, you know, the next car I buy will be the last privately owned vehicle I buy. Mm -mm. My daughter will never own her own car. Because why would you? If you could call up a thing on your phone and a self-driving car arrives arrives, you get in. And you get in. Go where you're going. You're destination is already in the app and i i was thinking about this a lot because i was using uber a lot then i was flying to la to visit millennium girlfriend and was just taking uber in from the airport uber out to the airport we ubered wherever we went i ubered home when i got home so every week you know i was interacting with uber a lot and it just felt like Right, Uber doesn't want these drivers. The The whole business of that company is to eliminate human drivers as fast as they possibly can. And all of the legal business of, of drivers trying to unionize or sue them, Uber is just kicking that can down the road in the fervent hope that they can, that they can just, po- you know, just bully everybody until they can have no drivers anymore. And that's why every, you know, that's why Google and Apple and everybody, why they're so interested in it is that you're going to eliminate the human component from traffic, which is humans are the problem. And I know I'm just inviting Skynet here, but in answer to your question, like the, if you want to own a 64 Corvette, like already in London, they have congestion pricing. Most of the day, you can't drive into the city of London right. without paying a, a big fee. You know, it's, it's a toll. Just to drive into the city. And when we were on tour there, we, you know, we always were very aware of the signs like you're about to enter a congestion zone. This next left is your last left before you have to pay. And we were always trying to skirt as long as we could skirt the city. Right. Even if it was the most efficient path, you know, well, Seattle is never going to enforce a, a congestion zone because they're just not going to be able to get their shit together in time. 
But what's going to happen is you're going to start having zones where only self-driving cars can access the zone because for them to work properly, they can't have dummies driving around on the same roads as them. And it's, it's just going to only make sense that in an urban core, everything be either public transit or self-driving. Right. And then pretty soon, you know, if you want to drive your own car, there are going to be a limited number of access points that you can get close enough into the city that you can get on public transit. And pretty soon, sell, you know, your own car, and this is, the internal combustion engine is, is breathing its last even as we speak. But then you're only, you know, the only car you're going to own is if you live way, way out somewhere and, and the self-driving, you know, infrastructure universe just hasn't gotten there yet. You're out pooping in an outhouse and driving your own, you know, vintage Tesla. Right. And those of us that like the internal combustion engine are going to have, I think, certain areas, certain roads where you go out with your, you know, you trailer your, your Cobra out to some mountain road that's been, that's been retained as like, here's where you go to drive your old cool car. Sort of like going out and riding a steam engine lunch train somewhere <laughs> for enthusiasts only. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's... Yeah, like, my, are we going to be enthusiasts if we want something where you it has an engine in it? Well, you know, I'm, I'm like, laying all this out. Is that what an out. enthusiast becomes? Yeah, it, it seems to me like, like most science slash fiction, or like most prognostatory science, you want to think, well, I can conceive it, I can see it, and the technology technically exists, so it's only a matter of a few years. But of course, the problem is it's we could see flying cars in 1969 too, and and whatever the insurmountable problems were, they were just slightly more insurmountable than we thought. Yeah, and this isn't even talking about all the people trying to develop hovercraft, right, right. self-piloting hovercraft vehicles right. for the truly wealthy, uh, or even maybe the middle class. Who knows? Who who knows what what's lurking there i feel like if you could if you could open up your little phone have a self-driving car arrive at your house in minutes i want that and then get in it and for what will at the time seem like a small number of credits this is what this is almost exactly what your friend will smith did in the irobot movie oh is that what happened in irobot he sat he would i mean he owned the car which you know, it's like whenever you look at few people imagining future technology, they're always, they get a little bit right and they get a lot wrong. Yeah. You know, I doubt anyone in 20 years is going to own cars the way we do. I think your point is correct. Yeah. Why would you? But in, in that, forgetting that detail, he would get in the car and he'd just sort of sit in the car and it would take him wherever he was going to go and he could override it. He could grab the, he could grab the wheel and accelerate and do it on his own if he wanted but the car really was doing everything on its own. And, and the cars, because they were all kind of interconnected and computer controlled, they could go at breakneck speeds. Like they sure. weren't going at 60 miles an hour. They were going at 120 easy. 
Yeah. And they were all coordinated doing what they needed to do. And they become public transit in the sense that, you know, the computer knows, oh, there are 15 cars that want to go between here and there. So we're going to, you know, we're one by one going to link them up. They're all going to draft off of each other. They're going to be separated by a centimeter bumper to bumper. And they're going to travel as a single unit, you know, probably then with the drafting, each one able to conserve electricity so that the, you know, it almost has the efficiency of public transit and it goes over all the way over to the right into the, uh, non-local lanes. And you're right. Accelerates up to whatever, you know, whatever, the, whatever it can. And because the computers know where everybody, where everybody's going, there's no, oh, we had to slow down because somebody was lost and had their blinker on and, you know, all the stuff that makes modern driving so awful. Yeah. It's like, no, the left two lanes or the left three lanes of this highway are just. Yeah. But one of the, you know, one of the things I was saying to the city of Seattle is, look, right now we maintain the roads and all the signaling and all this stuff as a, as a, it's a public utility and we put it there. And the, it costs the city and the state and the federal government, and we pay that money because this is, you know, public space. But when self-driving cars colonize that space and the company that runs the, that builds the car and runs the system is all private and there is no public access to it in that sense, that there's a private intermediary then we need to be prepared to tax them, them, you know, that they should not have the unfettered access to this public space that the public's paying for, that they're profiting from, that there is no separate public access to except through them. And if, if municipalities understand that and get ahead of it, right. Get ahead of the legislation before, as the technology rolls out because you know that w- what a boon to uber that they have freshly paved roads everywhere they go paid for by the public um and you know with integrated communication in it all paid for by the public which is what they'll do it's the same as getting sports stadiums built with tax dollars because supposedly it you know, such an influx of cash to cities. And that'll be the argument too. No, no, no. The city has to maintain the roads because think of all the commerce. Think of all the trickle down that happens. Right. But anyway, I, I talked about this on the campaign trail a lot and just got eye rolled to death. Mm. And it was partly because, because they were right. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, what you argue about when you're running for office is not that your city should start investing in municipal scale batteries to power the city, you know, to, to keep energy prices low by loading up the batteries at night when nobody's using electricity. Nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear you tell them that their rent is going to go down or stay the same. And, all this like municipal battery talk and self-driving cars stuff just made me seem like a, like a nut. But, you know, I also was talking about using gondolas as 
public transportation. And now I see articles about that in the newspaper. Here. Yeah, there you go. You're way ahead of your time. Anyway. So, no, I think electric car is next for me. And I was so excited to buy this Ford truck that I bought. And immediately, not only was kind of unsatisfied with it, but 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 regretted it. I just regretted it. It wasn't the right direction. It felt a little bit like going to war with you know with the army of your of the last generation it just felt like i was at the start of world war 1 and i was trying to buy hats for my cavalry uh-huh. with the biggest feathers i could find and uh and that it turns out a year later was the wrong that's the wrong hat for the job so yeah i don't I really was excited about the Tesla truck. That felt like a thing that a five-year-old me would love. And I understand that everybody hates Elon Musk or that he's, you know, that he's a goof or maybe a dangerous goof. But the world is full of dangerous goofs. I mean, Henry Ford III wasn't not a dangerous goof. They're all goofs. And the Tesla truck just seemed... Like the Rivian truck? No, what's the what's the other truck? The the truck that's actually for sale. Yeah, I think it is. Isn't it Rivian? Isn't that looks the like a Blazer? One? Yeah, I just I think it it's a, it's cool, but it just looks dumb from the front. It just looks the wrong kind of. It doesn't look sinister. It's trying to look friendly or something. I don't like it. The Tesla truck looked so stupid that it was the kind of stupid you could really get behind. Like, yeah, that's right. I'm driving a car. That was drawn by a child, a child with a ruler, a child got a ruler and drew a truck and that's what I'm driving. And it's electrical. How do you like them apples? Yeah, I was, I was really into it. You know, I, there's a business I think of all the time. Do you remember my GMC RV? Yeah, of course. So when I was a member of the GMC RV owners, group the black book i realized in my travels that there are a lot of these gmc rvs that that didn't make it that got neglected and they had a lot of complicated parts and the suspension broke down or the you know just the water got in and they end up parked somewhere behind somebody's barn, like most RVs. I think RVs are hard to recycle. You know, you can take a 1975 Buick LeSabre right. and just put the whole thing in a crusher. Yeah. And it, it just becomes... A cube. Yeah, a cube of yeah, Everyone's of seen this from steel. Chris, in Christine, they did this. Uh-huh. Yeah, they did it in uh, in... The uh, the original Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle uh, Terminator. They put him in a crusher. Yeah, he went in there. Just and the I arm think hanging out. A lot of these RVs are made out of fiberglass and other stuff where it's kind of like you can't really put it in a crusher. And so I would go places. I mean, there's a place in the East Bay. Um Oakland, yeah, or south, slightly south of Oakland, where it's just a big yard 
that's probably got 60 GMC RVs sitting in it in various stages of torn apart, disrepair. But I really think the the framework of a GMC RV is perfect to get completely converted to an electric vehicle using Tesla motors and batteries. You take the you take the you know the Buick engine out of those things or the Cadillac engine out of those RVs. You gut them and rebuild them using super light modern parts. And you could have you know like an eight-wheel drive kind of perfectly balanced living room on wheels. It's it's almost too good to not do. And I don't know why. I mean, I know why, because who has the, you have to just be a a crazy person to say, oh, my business is going to be that I go buy old RVs for pennies on the dollar. (laughs) Yeah. Spend tens and tens of thousands of dollars turning them into something nobody's really asking for. Right. And then sell them for a hundred to for $200,000 to whatever this generation of hashtag van life millennials who currently are spending that much money on, on sprinter vans. No, no, no. Twice as big, 30 times as cool GMC RV electric redo queen size bed in the back. You know, they're, they're, they're just shy of being a hovercraft. And I, I, it's one of the things I think about when I'm, you know, driving along in my Ford gas burner. Like, oh man, if only I could live long enough to see GMC RVs all converted. Because there's no RV that's <laughs> all cooler. Of, all of them. Well, here's the thing. Okay, you bring up a really great point. My dr- Right now, and I've gone through different stages and phases. But right now, the ideal vehicle for me, the vehicle I most want, is a 1964 Lincoln Continental Convertible. Wow. That's the car that I want. It's got a little bit of the, you know, it's got the creepy Adams Family kind of feel to it. You Kennedy know, assassination. You're yes, down there in Texas anyway. Very much. It's, it's the great vehicle. And, you know, these things are, they're not cheap. If you're lucky enough to find one in good condition, you're going to pay probably close to 70 K for it. Mm -hmm. So it's not a trivial decision, Mm -mm. but the problem with one of those is, and by the way, it's not like I'm, I'm ready to get one of these at all. It's just, this is what I want. The problem with this and any older car, the kind of cars that we like, forget the fact that you're going to have to fix them yourself and you can't really get parts easily and all that other nonsense. I think, I think you'd be able to find parts for that vehicle. Probably. But the thing is, except for the specialty stuff, but yeah. Well, when you, when you think about one of these things, like these have seatbelts, but that's all they got. Sort sort of. of, Yeah. 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 Probably what just a lap belt. Uh You can't really rely on this thing as being like you're like a vehicle that you're actually going to take out and drive around more than just like, Hey kids, it's Sunday afternoon. Let's hop in the 1964 Lincoln continental convertible and take a, take a quick drive in the countryside. Like you don't want to be sitting on Mopac, you know, in rush hour or I 35 with this thing. No, not a daily driver. No. And 
you know, I mean, I feel like all of the cool cars from these older time periods, whenever I see someone I'm like, don't, don't, aren't you worried about getting the steering wheel through your chest? Because these things don't collapse if you're in an accident. You know what I mean? Like you can't zero safety features in these, nothing, nothing. Right. And I feel like the, that's a risk. Yeah, it is, but it's a risk. Anything's a risk. All your safety features in the world aren't going to help you if you lose control and hit hit a semi on the side. Yeah. I feel like it's that's exactly why you buy a car like that. On a Sunday, you say, you know, I've I've traced out this road that kind of goes up and around and goes over there and then we stop over here and this is where we get ice cream and you know, it's a it's a totally legit way, especially if you I think if you bank your carbon offset by not um, by not having a gas-powered weed whacker, right? You know, if this is just something that you kind of budget. Like, th- I I do this for fun, and it's less damaging than a thousand other things I could do. It's less damaging than a million other things I could do, and less dangerous too, because you set the old cruise control at forty-five, <laughs> right? And you just, it's like, uh, it's like one of life's joys. And I think you could, I think about this sometimes, like Mm. buy a car like that in Texas and take a month to drive it to some place that if you were in a hurry, you could get there in five days, but like take a month to go up to, up to Maine and the whole way you're just on back roads Mm -hmm. and the top is down and at the end, the whole experience, you might be able to have and pay less than you would have spent if you'd gone for two weeks vacation right. to somewhere. Yes, you know? yes. And so at the end of it, if you think about it like, no, 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 this is a, this is a vacation we're taking. I'm right. going to buy this old car out of, the, out of Craigslist for 5,000 bucks, right. and we're going to drive it you know, it's a Jeep or something. Sure. We're going to drive it from here to there. And by the time we and stay in roadside motels, and by the time we get there, it'll cost less than 10 days in Hawaii. Right. That seems like a thing. If you, if you put it to yourself in those terms, it almost feels like a way to live. Oh yeah. You it's know, a lifestyle to, choice. Yeah. To think of stuff like, well, what is that? What am I spending here, really? Because I think about this a lot. Like the other, a couple of years ago, my mom was really hot to get a Norwegian forest cat. <laughs> and I was like, I believe in a Norwegian forest cat. Sure. I think you should get one of those. Yeah. They're enormous. Yeah. They're very nice. Right. Uh, apparently, hypoallergenic. Like, I would like a cat as big as a dog. Yeah. And my mom looked into it, and she came back, and she was like, oh, you know, even if you get a neutered one, yeah, they're 700 bucks. And if you wanted to get, uh, like, a breeding one, right? they're up in the thousands of dollars, you Jeez. know? Yeah. 
And we all and they only, were like, they only last you like ten or fifteen years. For yeah. you got to get rid of them. And we were like, one. oh, that's too bad. That's crazy. Seven hundred dollars, right? But just recently, I was like, seven hundred dollars for a little friend that you're going to have for fifteen years. Yeah, like you spend seven hundred dollars just getting your, you know, like regular maintenance on your car, or. I mean, the the number of times in the course of a year when you're forced to spend seven hundred dollars on something that you're like, ugh, well, I guess I got to spend it just to keep this keep this system running. You know, every time I get my my oil tank for my oil burning furnace filled up, it's like more than that seven hundred dollars for a for a like a fat hairy kitty that's bigger than a dog that lives in your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a bargain. What an incredible bargain. I'm sure pet owners listening to this are like, well, my last three vet bills were more than $700. Cause my dog keeps eating my keys or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I feel like, well, par- partly everything is so confusing. Now my relationship to money keeps changing. Yeah. Because it just seems more and more unreal, and I, you know, I, I realized this year, like, oh, because taxes and this and that, like, it makes sense for me to put money in a uh, an IRA in a, in a way that I've never been able to. I don't have any money, you know, mm-hmm. or I never did, and didn't have. I have no retirement right but it made sense for tax reasons because partly because of my patreon Mm -hmm. to put some money in a retirement kind of bitcoin yeah put it in bitcoin put it all in bitcoin put it in dogecoin dogecoin um and i was talking to a financial advisor as a result of that and the financial advisor was saying a lot of uh a lot the the financial advisor had some sentences that they'd obviously said a lot of times to different people that were kind of the same sentences that you would read if you picked up a brochure in a bank about financial advisement mhm all pretty much the same stuff and and kind of like a lot of things they feel they feel somewhat designed to obfuscate you know the the language itself it's like legalese it's meant to keep you out Right, meant to keep you from understanding because it could be simply explained. It doesn't need all its own catchphrases. And you know, and all of a sudden, I'm I'm in this conversation where I'm talking about inflation and my retirement with someone who's used to talking to people about their retirement who had like income matching relationships with their with their employer. Right. Where some amount of their check was taken and matched and put into a special bank account that they never had to think about. And I'm like, I don't have any of those things. Like we can, we can, you can just skip ahead on the brochure all the way down to what you do if you don't have that. Hmm. And it just made me feel more and more like, well, maybe I should just buy a Jeep for $5,000. Maybe it's cheaper for me to just stay on the road to just, just be on the highway yeah. than it is even to live in, in the world. 
That's interesting. Have you ever heard of the Great Loop? That's the uh, thing, uh, the highway around uh, downtown Atlanta. Oh, that's one of them. Yeah. But there's another Great Loop, which is like a powerboat loop where you go, it doesn't matter where you start, but basically you go, let's say you start in the Great Lakes. You go up the Chicago River. You get into the, you know, the all the different river systems mm-hmm. that take you to the Ohio River and then into the Mississippi River. The old Miss. The old Miss. The, the old, old man. man. Yeah. You go down the Mississippi. <laughs> you pop out down there and you stay inside of this whole set of barrier islands along you know, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, <laughs> Flo- Florida, Florida, Florida. Then you go all the way down around up the East Coast, all inside these barrier islands. So it's kind of a like a naturally protected waterway, right? All the way up to the St. Lawrence Seaway, all the way up through the locks to the Great Lakes again, and you do this giant loop, and it takes months to do. It's like the Appalachian Trail, but for power boaters. Right. <laughs> and as long as you can keep your boat going, <laughs> like you, it, there's an infrastructure. You pull in, there's places to get gas and empty your bilge and hotels. And, you know, presumably you're in a boat big enough that it's got some beds. Right. You almost can't afford not to do it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if I were doing it, I would set my throttle at whatever idle was dub 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 and you just you know just let the day take you yeah i felt like for a long time i was i wanted to take a canoe down the like start at the headwaters of the missouri and take a canoe the whole way and then i read an account of it and all through the plain states i guess the missouri is is damned in such a way and I saw some of this when I drove past it recently, where there's just these giant reservoirs where the water isn't moving and there's nothing around. And so to take your canoe down the Missouri, there are many, many days where you're just kind of paddling all day through a sort of a, like a lake that has no features. And then you're in a canoe, like in an incredibly dangerous, fast-moving uh-huh. freight corridor for weeks and weeks. And I was like, wow, I don't, that might be above my skill level as a canoeist. Yeah. yeah hike hike out there into the mountains with your canoe and then you're... And then, all, and then yeah, you get some rapids. Live off the fat of the land. <laughs> you live off the fat of the land. You, fight, you see a cracker barrel in the distance. Yeah. I don't know. Big you know, adventure. The, there's one thing though that I that I I have kind of earmarked for you. Oh. And and that is, you know, there's this company out there uh that take what they do is they go out there and they find a vintage Bronco. Okay. Something between 1966 and 1977, the the salad days. Increasingly of, expensive old junk truck. And they get it and they bring it, they don't just bring it back to vintage state Uh they go further than that and they modernize them right 
They don't do anything but Broncos. The whole team is like Bronco obsessed. But what they do is they bring stuff into it. So they, they'll obviously do all the body work, paint it. They, but they put in a better engine. They do a modern transmission. They have fuel injection, air conditioning. You know, everything, power steering, power brakes, disc brakes even. New suspension. They do all brand new interiors, like high-end le- leather stuff. And then they add in Bluetooth stereos. They add in, you know, navigation, a backup camera. They put heated seats in there. It's basically a completely safe now modern vehicle. Except it, for all intents and purposes, it's an OG Bronco. Mm-hmm. And I, I got very excited about these when I found them on Instagram. I'm like, yeah, this is what I want. Uh-huh. Because a new Bronco, as excited as I was when it first came out, I've seen them on the road. It's not what I want. But these things clock in at like the, on the on the low end, two hundred grand. Yeah. On the low end, on the high end, yeah, you can you can get up into three hundreds with these things if you, yeah. you know. And there, there's a company in Venice, California that that does these resto mods. They're very expensive. I mean, they're they're it's awesome. Like, who wouldn't want that? You could buy an airplane for that. Yeah, you get an airplane and a car to take you to and from the airplane. <laughs> And a pilot to fly the plane when you need him. But they're totally bad. They're totally badass. You yeah. know, you think think about the Bronco. It's the it's a full sized Bronco, I think, that's in the movie Romancing the Stone. Yes. That's the kind of I, I like that next gen Bronco, the seventy eight seventy nine Bronco. The little mule. The little mule. Yeah. <laughs> My you you must be my little mule. <laughs> this is a that was a great scene. It's a great scene. Romancing the stone probably does not, uh, probably doesn't meet current standards for uh, inclusivity and no, non, I, of course not, and non racial of course stuff. not. But I bet it holds up as a as a rom com. If you can, yeah, I mean the one. The one thing, yeah, there's actually a lot of things that probably don't hold up from that film. Yeah, almost certainly. But that was a good scene. That was a good scene. 